are listening to a podcast produced by the Jackson School of International Studies and the Ellison Center for Russian, East European, and Central Asian Studies at the University of Washington. This and other podcasts can be found on iTunes and SoundCloud. For more information, visit us at jsis.washington.edu slash Ellison Center. Welcome to the Ellison Center for Russian, East European, and Central Asian Studies. Today's speaker is Azamat Gabuyev. He is a Fulbright visiting scholar at Cornell University for the fall semester of 2021. He's originally from Vladikavkaz. In 2011, he earned his PhD in law from Kutafin Moscow State Law University. He's been living in Moscow since 2015, where he works as a lawyer. Uh, but he's a writer. His stories have appeared uh, in several Russian literary journals, including Russian Esquire, and he's written two novels in Russian set in North Ossetia. His first novel was published in 2018, Cold Day in the Sun, about young women in a semi-traditional society. It was shortlisted in 2019 for the Fiction 35 Literary Prize. His second book is a satire on conservative trends in today's Russian public discourse, the plot is mostly based on the myths about Stalin that wander among people and on the internet. He has one story translated into English. It's called Sun, uh, published by another Chicago magazine. Today, his talk is entitled Stalin as a Neo-Pagan Deity in Contemporary Russia. So now we will hear from Azamat Kabuyev. So hi, everybody. Thank you, Professor Rennes, for uh, introducing me. Um, I guess we should start with a short video I want us to watch. Stalin and Gulag and победу 1945 uh, so you just watched a piece from the popular uh, debate show on Russian television. Uh, those participants uh, both are well-known writers and journalists. Both name is uh, Alexander and uh, mm, the one with red, uh, gray hair is uh, Alexander Prohanov, and the other one is Alexander Arhangelsky. So when Mr. Prohanov says that uh, the divine light was emanating from Stalin, Mr. Arhangelsky calls him uh, a pagan. And I hope in this lecture we'll figure out what he means. Well, as for the title, I was hesitating about calling it so. I was thinking about the title uh, Myth on Stalin, but when we say myth, we get to the binary opposition myth and truth. But it's not what I'm going to do. I'm not going to destroy legends or to say what was true or not. Uh, also, there are political myths, economical myths, uh, but I don't deal with them. I just uh, collected uh, mystical and religious uh, myths surrounding Stalin, um, those that I found on the internet or heard from people, and I'll try to uh, retell them. So this picture by Rene Magritte, I think, uh, best illustrates uh, the idea that what I'm going to speak on is not uh, historical Stalin. It's uh, just mm, the image of Stalin uh, within uh, different groups uh, in Russia. Well, uh, uh, first I want to start with the uh, image of Stalin within Russian Orthodox Church. Uh, as Alexander Prohanov, who you just seen, uh, officially and formally is an Orthodox Christian, but he's called pagan. Uh, so why? 
here you can see uh, the icon of Saint Matrona of Moscow. Saint Matrona um, was a Christian woman who lived in Moscow uh, in late 19th and uh, first half of uh, 20th century. She is honored as a saint. And in uh, 1993, uh, there was a book released of their name is uh, Zinaida Zdanova. It's called Life and Miracles by um, Matrona of Moscow. And it tells a lot of stories on her. And among those stories, there is one about Stalin visiting her during World War II. Uh, it tells us that Stalin came to her and he received from her a prophecy that he was not going to fail or to give up uh, Moscow and he was going to win uh, the war. You see that Stalin is depicted here without a halo because only saints can be uh, depicted with halo. But uh, this is not a scan of the icon. It's a photograph taken in the church when it, uh, this icon is set. And you see uh, this lamp on the chains uh, hung in front of it. So we can barely uh, tell for whom this uh, lamp is um, lightened uh, for... Uh, Matrona of Moscow or for Stalin. Uh, again, uh, Alexander Prokhanov, uh, he has ordered this icon, uh, which he calls Our Lady of Sovereign. Formerly, it's uh, the icon of uh, Virgin Mary, she is above, but Stalin uh, take and his army take more space on the picture than Virgin Mary and angels. And uh, because of this formal name of Our Lady, uh, this icon was sanctified. But uh, Mr. Prohanov is the head editor and founder of the newspaper, which is called Zavtra, which means tomorrow. And they uh, claim that their ideology is mystic Stalinism. So uh, we can't uh, say if this icon is a real Christian icon or it is something different. Russian religious scholar Ksenia Luchenko in her article, uh, The Church of the Great Synthesis, claims that this kind of icons don't belong to Christianity at all. Uh, they belong to uh, a different religion, what she calls uh, a civil religion of victory. Next, I want to uh, retell some uh, plots about Stalin and Gurdjieff, uh, which are uh, too mm, very popular. So George Gurdjieff, uh, one of the most mysterious figures of late 19th and early 20th century, uh, mystic teacher, dance teacher, composer, philosopher, poet. Um, what is his relation to Stalin? They both studied in Tbilisi seminary. So as legend, uh, legend tells us, uh, they arranged uh, an occultist club during uh, their, their study. That's why they quit seminary. And Gurdjieff taught Stalin magic. You know uh, that there is uh, a confusion with uh, Stalin's date of birth. In early documents, uh, it's um, December 18 of 1878. 
But in later documents, in December 21 uh, of 1879, and uh, the Stalin birthday is celebrated uh, on December 21. So why did he change his date of birth in the documents? Um, it is because Gurdjieff made, made up his horoscope and told him that he was not going to be a great man with such a date birth. That's why Stalin decided to change it, to turn a trick on stars. And he was warned by Gurdjieff. He said, Joe, don't do it. Uh, if you are born twice, you'll have to die twice. And this prophecy came true uh, when uh, Stalin was taken away by Khrushchev from mausoleum and buried uh, in front of Kremlin wall. This is that double death what Gurdjieff uh, was uh, predicting. Also, uh, uh, seven sisters, seven skyscrapers in Moscow are associated with uh, the name of George Gurdjieff. Uh, they were designed during Stalin's, Stalin's period and finished during Khrushchev's period, but we usually call them Stalin skyscrapers. And according to this myth, uh, Stalin, when he was a kid, saw a dream in which uh, there were seven pyramids or seven zikras. And then he grew up and met Gurdjieff and told him that dream. And Gurdjieff explained this dream. He told that he uh, had to build those buildings, those zikras, and he had even uh, built um, the eighth one, uh, remaining in which he could attain the immortality. Actually, there was a project of eight uh, skyscraper. It should have been built in place of uh, Cathedral of Christ the Savior. That's why Cathedral was destroyed. But then Stalin died and um, this project wasn't realized. And uh, soon Khrushchev built uh, a swimming pool in place of this cathedral. I have uh, some plots that I failed to classify, but I think they are, are worth uh, telling you. Russian anthropologist uh, Alexandra Arhipova in her article, Stalin without Stalinism, retells the stories that she heard from uh, people. Uh, and one of the story tells us that Stalin invented or ordered to invent uh, Soviet champagne or Dr. Sausage, which were popular products in uh, Soviet Union. Um, so Stalin is presented as a culture hero. The other story uh, is about bewitched land uh, in Himki near Moscow. In 1941, there was a battle uh, between Red Army and Nazis, and Nazis were defeated and they couldn't occupy Moscow. We have uh, this memorial uh, in Himki in memory of that uh, battle. But today, taxi drivers said that uh, Red Army won because Stalin uh, put a spell on this land so the Nazis couldn't go further and take over Moscow. And still, this spell is in action. That's why there are always traffic jams. Well, we finally reach uh, a proper uh, neo-paganism. Uh, Russian neo-paganism is also called Rodnoveri. Uh, um, and one of its branches is Russian Vedism. So Russian Vedists believe that uh, 
ancient Indian Vedic religion uh, was the same that old Slavic uh, paganism. They believe in pantheistic whole gods in Russian Sibok and it's uh, his manifestations. Um, so it's a rather fresh uh, religion. Uh, first organization was established in 1990. Uh, well, uh, sometimes they present uh, the origin of Slavic people like this. You see, um, Slavic ancestors came from outer space. And if we search their Facebook pages, uh, YouTube channels, we can find a video by that man. It's not Hugh Laurie. His name is Alexei Zolotaryov. Uh, he's presented as physicist, but what he tells uh, doesn't have anything to do with physics. He tells the secrets of Vedenha. Vedenha. Uh, is an exhibition center on the north of Moscow. It was built during Stalin's period and then uh, reconstructed during Khrushchev's period. Um, it still is a popular uh, place for uh, different various uh, exhibitions. For example, Moscow Book Fair took place there sometimes. Um, Mr. Zolotaryov says that it's not only the exhibition center, but it is a temple complex and one of uh, two complexes of such kind on earth. The other complex is St. Peter's Basilica in Rome. He says that it was mm, built by the civilization that predeceased human race on earth, then it was occupied by uh, Christians and rearranged to produce dark power, dark energy uh, to control masses. And the very shape of it resembles a keyhole uh, because it symbolizes the hidden knowledge of how to control people. He wants us to look uh, at the shape of uh, St. Peter's Basilica at, at, and uh, at the shape of Vedenha's uh, skating rink, uh, which resembles a key. So it's opposed to Vatican. Uh, and that's how Stalin designed it uh, to, uh, to present the different view all on human nature and produce different energy. What are the views on human nature? If you look at the flood mural in Sistine Chapel, we'll see uh, a lot of people dying and one bunch is saved because they got uh, the information from God. Unlike this, the main mural in Vadenha uh, doesn't show us uh, suffering or death or any chosen bunch of people. There is joy of labor for everyone. Everyone is invited. And uh, in the right corner of this mural, we can see a woman with a sunflower. This symbolizes future spread of humanity uh, all over solar system. And according to uh, Mr. Zolotaryov, this represents traditional Slavic Vedic point of view on human nature and of uh, on human life. Uh, so Stalin created um, this uh, Vedenha as a temple complex to resist Christianity and to resist uh, its uh, Vatican's dark forces. That's why the main fountain in Vadenha was built in place of the ancient pagan Russian shrine. Also, Rodnaveri believed uh, that Stalin was a white priest of Slavic faith. Um, 
he was uh, fighting Zionists, dark priests, of course, represented by Trotsky, uh, and he stopped the world, the global revolution, which uh, meant destroying Russia, and he recreated Russian Empire. Uh, of course, uh, they tried to kill him with black magic several times, but he um, uh, could um, repel this attack and uh, because he was such a powerful white priest. Let's finish with uh, Rodnoveria and, uh, oh no, uh, there is one point uh, in all this concept uh, that for being a Russian pagan priest, he has to be Russian ethnically. So they explain it um, in such a way that his real father was Nikolai Perzhevalsky, a famous Russian geographer. So um, Stalin is not a Georgian, but is a Russian. Also, uh, there is a gossip that Nikolai Perzhevalsky himself was a son of Alexander II. That means that Stalin was a Russian prince and the cousin of Nicholas II. Uh, this is how uh, Stalin, despite of his origin, is included into Russian ethnos and uh, admitted um, to be uh, Russian uh, Vedic priest. Uh, but this uh, is, uh, stories from Russian Vedism are close to the role of Stalin in contemporary shamanism, which is represented mostly by books uh, by Alexei Minyailov. You can see the covers, you can read the titles. So Mr. Minyailov uh, argues that during his exile to Siberia, Stalin was initiated as a shaman, uh, 300 Evenki shaman, shamans came uh, to uh, initiate him. And uh, those were uh, the same shamans who predicted uh, Tunguska incident. Uh, you know that uh, in 1908, uh, there was an explosion uh, in Taiga uh, uh, at River Tunguska, and officially it's explained that it was um, a meteorite. But according to Mr. Minyailov, this was a descent of Ivanki Thunder God Agdi, which was summoned by uh, 300 shamans. Uh, which I mentioned were the same shamans uh, that further uh, initiated Stalin. So they gave all their power to Stalin. And after that, there was uh, no more shamans uh, among Evenkis uh, because he became the most powerful and it explains his success in politics. Um, also, it explains uh, why Stalin built this railroad uh, in the north of Siberia, which was economically uh, useless. Uh, it was an access to Kiperbarea. Uh, so it's not surprising that after his death, uh, it was soon destroyed by Khrushchev. Now it looks like this and it's called the dead road. And we reached my favorite part, which is associated with uh, my homeland, Ossetia. I use conjunction and because Ossetian folk beliefs and Essenism are not the same. Uh, Ossetian folk beliefs are traditional beliefs and Essenism is mm, neo-pagan religion uh, which appeared in 21st century and it mixes Ossetian folk beliefs with Helena Blavatskaya, Nikolai Rerich and so on. Uh, 
So not every traditional believer calls himself or herself uh, an essayist. Uh, but the plots that I'm going to mention are common for both uh, folk believers and Essenists. In South Ossetia, there is a place called Jerezwar. Some say it was first built as a Christian church, but then it became a pagan shrine. Some say it was vice versa. But anyway, today you can see the cross on its roof, uh, you can see some Christian icons and murals inside, but uh, as uh, pictures below show, um, there are also uh, uh, pagan traditions because uh, you can see this guy's dragging a ram for the sacrifice and you see the festooned tree, which is uh, pagan too. I should mention also that a lot of Assyrian people believe Stalin to be Assyrian because his father, Bessarion Jugashvili, was Assyrian, and Jugashvili is the G Georgian version of Assyrian last name, Zugata. Uh, so the story tells us that Stalin, uh, Joseph uh, Jugashvili, was weak, a morbid child. And his uh, brothers and sisters uh, died before uh, he died before, and uh, parents were afraid that he was going to die too. And one of the relatives of Bessarion tell him to um, bring this child to Jerezwar. Uh, you can see on this map that. Uh, Jerzwar is uh, more than 10 hours on foot from Gori, where um, Jugashvili's lived. And you should consider that it means uh, walking uphill. So they brought uh, a, the child there, they uh, made a sacrifice, uh, and then um, child was healed. And since that time, uh, Jerzwar uh, became a heavenly patron of Stalin, and it too explains his power. Also, there is a belief uh, that Stalin was associated, he associated himself with Soslan. Soslan is a character from North Saga, the folklore epos of North Caucasian peoples. Um, he was a hero. You can he, he, see him fighting a giant on this picture. Soslan was tempered uh, by his mother, Shatana, who was uh, the queen of Nart. Um, and he was almost invulnerable. His body was covered by steel. Only his knees were vulnerable. So it's a version of Achilles' heel story. And finally, he died uh, because of the wheel with sharp edges, which uh, cut his legs off. And it's not only believed by Ascetian people, but also by professor of the University of Jerusalem, Mikhail Weiskopf. Uh, in his book, Stalin, uh, Writer Stalin, he claims that Stalin associated himself with Soslan, and um, he tells uh, that first is the name. Uh, Joseph uh, has a Georgian childish ver version, Soso, and it sounds like Soslan. Also, the last name Stalin that he took derives from the Russian for steel, and it refers us to the steel body of Soslan. And he called uh, his daughter Svetlana uh, to resemble um, Shatana, and he used to call her Shatanka during her childhood. Also, uh, Stalin associated uh, himself with Soslan because uh, in his young ages he was hit by Phaeton and uh, his legs were damaged by wheels, uh, the same 
story with Soslan. I should also say that uh, Stalin is honored in a city and we can sometimes see uh, pictures, the pictures of him uh, next to uh, some pictures that are considered um, sacred. For example, here you see uh, Stalin next to uh, a city in pagan deities, um, traditional deities, uh, Wastergi and uh, Mikhail Gaberta. And there is one more story. You see, it's the landscape of Vladikavkaz, North Ossetia. We have uh, a mountain called Stalova Gara here because of its flat top, like stall, a table. Uh, and some people see on this mountain, guess whom? Uh, I'm not sure if you see him, but uh, I, I do see. And now, as long as most of you are in Seattle, I want you to go outside and take a look at Mount Rainier. Thank you for your attention. If there are any questions, I'll answer them. Okay, thank you very much. Well, I'm, I'm never gonna look at Rainier the same again. I, I, I assume I'll find Stalin's visage somewhere if I look closely enough. Uh, I'm not sure, but uh, if you look hard enough, you can uh, find Stalin everywhere. Yeah. So I'll just start things off. Uh, thanks for the fascinating talk and uh, the really interesting images and photos you have there. Um, maybe you could talk a little bit more about how uh, how widely some of these myths are are believed, or at least entertained by ordinary people. You talked a lot about intellectuals and writers um, who do this, you know, partly as an intellectual activity, right? It's not necessarily true that they, that they believe this, but in your own experience, speaking with people, especially in places like North Ossetia, uh, do you find that ordinary people um, also tend to subscribe to some of these ideas? Uh, yes, it was, on uh, such thing as mystic Stalinism, uh, it is represented by uh, a certain uh, intellectual, I named him uh, Alexander Prohanov, so that is his concept. But uh, um, as for Ascetian beliefs, they are widely spread uh, among people, and uh, uh, there are other legends on Stalin, but I... Um, I uh, didn't tell you those who are not uh, fantastic, religious, or something like that. But uh, there are another uh, stories uh, that consider his Ascetian origin. Um, so uh, it is widely believed. Uh, also, it is believed uh, among Russian, uh, ethnical Russian people, that uh, Stalin was a son of uh, Nikolai Przewalski. Uh, but uh, as for the uh, shaman stories, uh, I think they are marginal, uh, that a majority of uh, shamanists uh, don't share this. Uh, so then uh, a related question to mine uh, is from an audience member. Uh, are there ethnographic expeditions that have collected these stories in the field? I don't know. Uh, I, um, I didn't turn to such researches uh, while preparing this uh, lecture. Um, maybe we should uh, address, uh, re redirect this uh, question to uh, uh, Professor Arhipova that I mentioned, uh, but uh, actually she's not uh, with us right now. Okay, uh, another question just appeared. Uh, for Alexander Prokhanov, is the main meaning of Stalin the military victory um, in the uh, the Great Fatherland War? Yes, yes. Uh, because when he explains what a mystic Stalinism is, uh, he explains uh, that World War II was not just a big war, not just political uh, event uh, and historical uh, event. It was the war between uh, good and evil uh, um, metaphysically. So uh, our victory was uh, metaphysical too, 
So yes, it's very victor centered. Uh, and then uh, I'll, I'll ask a question, which I, um, I don't necessarily, um, I wouldn't necessarily in, uh, endorse, but I'm asking this kind of uh, because it's the kind of thing that, that often gets asked. And that is uh, the question about whether there's something about post-Soviet Russia that creates the ripe conditions for this kind of cult and this kind of um, new synthesis of beliefs. And the argument being that in the, um, after the collapse of the Soviet Union with uh, a, a vacuum of ideology, so to speak, that there's uh, a lot of pressure, a lot of um, creative ferment to come up with a, a new and replacement ideology, a quasi-religion that gives people meaning. And I say this, um, I, I don't subscribe to this so much because this is often kind of a caricature of Russia, I think, when in fact you can find similarities in lots of countries. And what comes to mind right now in the US is the way that Trump has been deified, made into a cult figure um, on the right. And uh, in particular, you, you could look up images of um, uh, renderings of, of uh, Washington crossing the Delaware where Trump is, is uh, substituted for Washington and other um, really uh, fancy elaborate iconography of Trump vanquishing his enemies in a very uh, similar kind of way to, to some of the things you talked about today. So, um, so what about Russia? Uh, so uh, first, I, I have a remark on uh, the United States. Uh, I don't think that Trump is uh, such a figure. Uh, I know that there is uh, a QAnon belief, for example, but um, uh, it seems to me that today um, there it couldn't be such person because uh, it, there's too much information today, uh, and we can. I mean, we people can uh, create such myths on uh, a person who lived in 20th century or even before uh, for the lack of information. And I think if in the, the United States there is a there is such a, a character, such a person, it's not Trump, but maybe Elvis. Um, yes. But as for Russia, yes, uh, really, uh, I, I was thinking about it, but I didn't come to any conclusion. Maybe um, it's because uh, we changed, uh, which we rearranged the country, we uh, changed the uh, economical system, uh, we rejected uh, plan economy uh, and uh, started building in uh, capitalism, but um, there wasn't um, uh, a big rejection of the Soviet past. We still have Lenin streets, uh, monuments, and so on. And at the same time, um, something uh, new appeared uh, you know, for uh, 70 years. Uh, there was no religion in Soviet Union and uh, atheism was taught in the universities. Uh, it was a mandatory uh, discipline. Uh, and then uh, people uh, just ended up in kind of religious freedom. Uh, and they just don't know what to do with Soviet past, with today's, uh, with, with today, what to do with religion. Uh, should they revival uh, something uh, ancient or uh, and and how uh, do they have to act with um, such characters as Stalin? But for me, uh, what is surprising in, for example, myth of uh, Russian Rodnoveria uh, that they consider October Revolution as something evil, but they uh, think that Stalin was the savior. They don't associate Stalin and Lenin uh, because Lenin and Trotsky plan was global revolution and Stalin stopped it. Uh, that's what surprises me. Um, I don't, I wasn't uh, looking for the explanation of uh, such stories, um, but um, uh, it's very possible that uh, the conditions of the post-Soviet time uh, are mm, the reason. Great. 
Uh, so here's a question. To what extent is Putin represented as a neo-pagan deity in contemporary Russia? Oh, um, no, I'm not sure. Um, maybe to some extent, uh, Sergei Shoigu, uh, military minister, but uh, there is an episode on Sergei Shoigu, uh, but it's spread only among his people, Tavinians. But as I said uh, previously on Trump, I don't believe that any uh, contemporary politician or pop star or whoever can be uh, a subject of such cults because uh, we know too much about them in, and it's hard to mythologize them. Right. So you think some historical distance is necessary before yes, uh, uh, truly yes. be uh, a cult created. Uh, Okay, great. Um, and then um, here's a question. Uh, what to do with the official Soviet histories of the war as a war of all peoples of the USSR and not just Russia, uh, not just Russian, not just Orthodox Christians. Um, and then during the war, the name of Moscow's military force changed from workers and peasants, Red Army to Soviet Army, a multinational, multicultural force united by common class identity. So I guess the question is about um, right, how people reconcile um, mm -hmm. So, the ideology of brotherhood of the peoples with um, an emphasis on Orthodox Christianity and, and ethnic Russians. So, what is the identity of the military force that defeated the Nazis? Oh. I guess the question is about believers in this cult. How do, how do they reconcile the fact that the Soviet Union was not just Russians and not just Orthodox Christians? So, uh, I see it. Uh, but uh, a lot of soldiers uh, in the Red Army were not believers at all. Uh, because Soviet people uh, were mostly atheistic. And uh, even today, uh, the majority of uh, people uh, in Russia are not religious, neither uh, Christians nor Muslims and, or even um, pagans. Uh, so uh, this uh, was uh, and just a civil army uh, a, that uh, defeated um, uh, Nazis. Uh, so uh, there shouldn't be any connection to uh, the personalities of the soldiers. Uh, but the very fact of victory, uh, you know, uh, uh, can be uh, analyzed and viewed uh, through this um, through this optics of uh, religious optics. I mean, uh, you can believe that uh, we wa uh, won the war with God's help uh, or something like that, despite the fact uh, that uh, soldiers uh, were not believers. But there, uh, no, uh, we say that there is, uh, there is no atheist uh, at war, uh, some people say. Because uh, when death is close, uh, you have to believe in something uh, bigger than uh, your life. Um, that's it. Yeah. Uh, okay, thanks. Uh, so here's another question. Um, so uh, Rodnoveri claimed Stalin for themselves. Uh, Ivek Shamans claimed them. Uh, um, Asianis claimed Stalin for himself in an ethnically tinged way. What about Georgians? So um, are there any... Uh, neo-pagan uh, uh, ideologies or, or discourses about a specifically Georgian Stalin, or has it been completely appropriated by, by others? Uh, I don't know, by, by the way, uh, anything about paganism in Georgia, uh, despite the fact that it was an ancient uh, paganism in um, uh, ancient Georgia. Uh, but, uh, and I uh, also don't know, uh, I, I just, uh, collected the stories uh, in Russia, but uh, as I said previously, I've never been to uh, South Caucasus. I know that uh, maybe, um, there was a monument uh, of Stalin in Gori, uh, uh, his uh, hometown uh, in Georgia, and it was um, uh, put down uh, in 2006 maybe, uh, and there was no protest against it, and there was no any movement for it, but it, uh, it was just uh, mm, such a pacific way, uh, such a silent way, they, they just uh, took it off and uh, 
without any noise around it but uh it still tells us nothing about religious beliefs uh, because it, it only reflects the civil situation um so i i can't comment on georgia um but uh, uh, by the way some georgians uh like the idea that stalin was a setian right um if i'm not mistaken so there have been uh surveys asked every every few years of georgians and one question uh is about how how they um feel about stalin and there is i think as i recall a pretty sizable contingent i think mostly of, of older people um that still has fond feelings uh, for stalin which is a separate question though of whether they make him into a neo-pagan deity uh i wonder to what extent you think a lot of the uh, the intellectuals that are uh propagating these myths uh are doing it partly out of um, out of a out of a profit motive, um, and also because it's entertaining and kind of fun, and it gets them on television, right? If you're Prokhanov, uh, and I say this as somebody who studied conspiracy theories, some people take conspiracy theories very seriously, but and QAnon is an example. Conspiracy theories are also entertaining and immersive, and social, and uh, people can gain fame and notoriety and sometimes um, money by propagating conspiracy theories, even if they don't necessarily believe them. So, um, so what do you think about the the um, the motivations for some of the public intellectuals that are that are producing these ideas? Uh, they're different uh, because. Um... For example, those people who I mentioned, uh, Alexei Minailov, who wrote uh, books on Stalin as shaman, uh, is now in prison. Uh, so uh, he did it not for money or fame, uh, but uh, people like um, Alexander Prohanov, Alexander Dugin, Nikolai Starikov, uh, actually, he tells uh, more historical thing than religious but still uh he's a kind of propagandist yes they earn some money they earn some uh, fame uh the same thing with um conspiracy theories because uh, we have uh famous people intellectuals who uh support uh conspiracy theorists on the tv for example movie director nikita mihalkov uh used to tell that um, uh, that vaccine is a um, bug, placing bug into your body. Uh, but uh, other people that are not so uh, famous uh, or um, affiliated with uh, mainstream television uh, can get in prison again for such things. For example, uh, in North Ossetia, we had uh, Vadim Chelyev, uh, mm, who is uh, a, a, an opera singer, uh, and he was uh, supporting this um, anti-COVID, anti-vaccine uh, conspiracy theories, and, and he arranged uh, a rally in Vladikavkaz, and now he's in prison too. Uh, so it depends. Some uh, some of them do it for money and fame. Uh, uh and some do uh do it just because they believe and uh they are um honest in that aspect in the short time we have left um i wonder if you wouldn't mind uh talking a little bit about your new novel the one that you're writing now which uh your biography says is is touching on some of these themes uh, maybe you can give us a little bit of a preview and so people will be motivated to go buy your book when it comes out um yes as soon as as it comes out uh, in English. Uh, but um, yes, uh, this uh, lecture, this presentation is a side product of uh, my work on my second book uh, because it, it has uh, the plot of the monument uh, of S Stalin, which disappeared. Um, from one of the uh, North Ossetian uh, villages. And uh, 
the, the protagonist of this book is a member of a local legislator. Uh, he's uh, what you can call a right-wing populist. Uh, and uh, of course, uh, he, and that's an interesting thing too, but, uh, like right-wing populists uh, use uh, the name of Stalin because who was uh, a leftist himself uh, that it's uh, always uh, mixed in Russia. So uh, of course he's a um, Stalin admirer and uh, he even worships this uh, uh, monument that is in the center of the plot. And I was uh, resembling uh, all those stories uh, and even inventing my own stories uh, uh, upon uh, this uh, and when I decided to uh, give a lecture you know, the task for me was to uh, separate those uh, those stories that I found out uh, from those that I created myself uh, for example uh, my own legend my, my authorized legend is that uh, Gurdjieff uh, and uh, his cousin, um, um, Sergei Merkurov, uh, who was a sculpture maker uh, Soviet, in Soviet Union, they created uh, the statue of Stalin that uh, could uh, be animated. Uh, so, um, and I refer to that uh, Spanish uh, stories of, on Don Juan uh, and uh, the statue of Commodore uh, in this novel. So it should be funny, I, I, I think. Um, but uh, first I should have it published in Russian and then we'll think on translations. All right, so uh, since we're coming up on uh, an hour, uh, we'll wrap up. Uh, Thank you, um, Azamat, for this really fascinating presentation. You've given us Thank a lot of food for thought. And um, people might start walking around and now seeing Stalin's face in their soup. Once you have this idea in your head, it's sometimes hard to, to get rid of it. So thanks, everybody, for joining us. And uh, thanks again, Azamat.